0: The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. I'm so excited to be sharing in this series. When Josh started talking about doing this, I asked him to save me a spot. Uh, Because I had this message stirring in my heart and I can't wait to deliver it. But before we do that, I just want to remind all of you ladies in the room. Next Sunday night is Tea Room Bloom right here at Noah's 5 30 p.m. We're having Inspirations, Tea Room Cater and Dinner, Dessert, Tea. Mary Jo Pierce is gonna be here, and I'm gonna be interviewing her about the subject of prayer. She is a phenomenal woman, and I can't wait to have her impart into us. So make sure that you are here that night. It's gonna be super beautiful special. You can get your tickets at newsongpeople.com/slash bloom. Please help me out, the planner and me. I know there's some last minute people here that are going to get those tickets next Sunday morning. Please, if you could help me get your tickets before Sunday, so we make sure that we have everything set, nice, beautiful for you. So newsongpeople.com/slash bloom. All right, go ahead and get out your notes. I'm talking about speaking spirit today. If you're taking notes, that's the name of this message. Speak. And go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, last Christmas break, Josh and I discovered this mini-series on Netflix called Manhunt Unabomber. And you can guess by the title what it was about. It was about Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. And it was such a good show that we actually were tempted to do the whole thing where we binge-watch the whole thing back to back, just give up a night of sleep eight hours in a row. You finished one episode and you cannot wait to see what happens in the next episode. But we also knew that if we did that, then we would be, the show would be over. It wouldn't last very long. We would be back in a show hole, nothing to watch on Netflix. So we decided to pace ourselves and do one episode a night for eight nights. And let me tell you, it was the stuff that Christmas break dreams are made of for Josh and I. So we do all the Christmas stuff all day long with the kids, wear ourselves out, wear everybody out, get the kids tucked into bed, and then go get on the couch with a blanket, some popcorn, some M&Ms, and we'd watch this story about Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. It was great. Now, What made this so fascinating was how they captured him. I I knew about the Unabomber like you know about the Unabomber. We've all seen the sketch, the, the glasses, the hoodie, but I didn't know how they caught this guy. He remained anonymous for 17 long years, and finally they caught him using linguistics. Now, if you're like me, you're going, what? Before I saw the show, I didn't know what linguistics was. So let me, let me in case there's anybody in here like me that's not sure, linguistics is the study of human speech including the units, nature, structure, and modification of language. So what happened was there's this FBI profile, James Fitzgerald, and he took the 35,000 word manifesto that Ted Kaczynski wrote and sent in to the Washington Post and the New York Times, and he began to comb through every word, every phrase, every sentence. And based on those typewritten words, he was able to to put uh, put together this insanely accurate profile of who this man was. And we're talking how old he was, where he grew up, where he got his PhD, um, uh, that he lived separated from the rest of the world, all of that and more, just based on studying his words. So he did this. He he comes up with this profile and is just convinced that if he gets this published, and enough people read it. There's going to be somebody somewhere out there that's going to read it as well, and they're going to recognize the language that he uses. And sure enough, he does this. Ted's sister-in-law reads it, and she's like, man, this sounds like my crazy brother that's been sending letters to, to my husband all these years. And so she turns him in as a suspect. She turns in a box full of letters, and the FBI, they match, they take those letters, they match up words, phrases, timelines, and they get a search warrant, the first search warrant in history based on forensic linguistics. And then they go on to arrest him, prosecute him. He's in a He spends a lifetime behind bars, all based on language clues. The first man in history ever convicted based on language clues. So this tells me that our language is very much a part of who we are. All. Almost like DNA. Almost like DNA. That's how part, that's how, how much a part of our uh, a language is a part of who we are. Think about it. Like, you could talk to somebody for a few minutes and they could say something that would be concrete enough evidence for you to know uh, that they were an East Coaster or a West Coaster, that they listen to hip hop music, that they grew up in the 90s, or they're an avid C.S. Lewis reader, just based on the words that we say. Now, When this comes to following God, I want you to ask yourself this question this morning. Are the words that I'm saying concrete enough evidence to prove that I know God? Are the words that you're speaking evidence to the people around you that you know God? Not just know about God, not just can rattle off some scriptures, but that you actually intimately, personally know the creator of the universe, that you know the secrets of his heart, that you know the plans that he has for you, that you know the future, you know what he's thinking. Are the words that you're saying proof that you know him? This is important for us as believers, but I believe especially important to this house because our goal, the whole reason we exist as a church is to help people know God. So if we're gonna help people know God, then we need to have some evidence. We need to have some proof that we really do know him and we can do that using our language. Look at this in Colossians three seventeen. It says, and whatever you do or say... Do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Our words, everything we say is supposed to represent Jesus. Then we read in Romans 8 how it's our God-given destiny. Every person in this room, it's your God-given destiny to be transformed into the image of Christ. That daily we would act Think and talk like our big brother, Jesus. So if we're supposed to represent him with our words and we're supposed to be transformed into his image and talk like he talked, then we need to understand the kind of words that he said when he walked the earth. Now you could do this by going through the scriptures and looking at all the red letter words in the Bible, but he gives us kind of a cliff notes here. He kind of sums it all up in this one scripture, John 6, 33. This is Jesus talking. He says, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Now, we've been talking about speaking life the last two weeks. Zoe is what that word there is. Zoe is the God kind of life. And that's what Pastor Josh has been talking to us about. When we speak the word, that's what we just did with Jackson. We spoke God's word. We're speaking life. We're bringing the God kind of life into our life. But he also says that we're supposed to speak life. Spirit. So how does that work? How do we speak spirit? Well, we're going to find out this morning. Turn to your neighbor, take a deep breath and tell him, "I got spirit." Yes, spirit. yes I do." Yes, now turn to the other neighbor and say, "I got spirit." I got spirit. How about you? you?" All right, First Corinthians 12 verse one. It's, this is Paul talking. He says, "Brothers and sisters." I don't want there to be any misunderstanding concerning spiritual gifts. When Jesus said he spoke spirit and life, the word spirit there was pneuma, which means the Holy Spirit, the third person in the Trinity. I speak spirit. And this is talking about how we can speak spirit, the pneumatic gifts, the spiritual gifts, the gifts given to us by the Holy Spirit. Now skip down to verse seven. It says, the evidence of the Spirit's presence is given to each person for the common good of everyone. We're talking about evidence this morning, how we need to have evidence, proof that we know God. This tells us that these spiritual gifts are the evidence that we know God, we personally know him, and that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is alive and active in our lives. This is our evidence. And it's given to each person, each person. Everybody say, each person. It's given to every person, every believer, for the common good of everyone. This is, what's going to prove, this is what's going to prove to the people around us that we actually know God. We've got to speak spirit. So if we're going to speak spirit like Jesus spoke spirit, these gifts are important for us to understand, the spiritual gifts. Now, I want you to see as we go through this list, I was amazed this week studying this, how many spiritual gifts have to do with our Words have to do with our speech. Look at this with me. This is the, the this is a list of the evidence that the Spirit gives. The Spirit, the pneuma, gives one person the ability to speak with wisdom. The same Spirit gives another person the ability to speak. With knowledge to another person, the same spirit gives courageous faith. To another person, the same spirit gives the ability to heal. Another can work miracles, another can speak what God has revealed. Another can tell the difference between spirits, another can speak in different kinds of languages, another can interpret languages. There is only one spirit, one pneuma, who does all these things by giving what God wants to give to each person. If we want to speak spirit, we have to learn about these gifts. We have to understand these gifts. I'm with Paul. He says, I don't want there to be any misunderstanding concerning these spiritual gifts. And here's why. Because when we have these gifts in operation in our lives, when we're speaking spirit, we get to do two really amazing things. One, we get to demonstrate the reality of an unseen God to the world around us. How cool is that? To be able to demonstrate that God is real. You know, people can't see him and and that's how we're wired to work. We believe it if we can see it, but we get to do something very special, demonstrate the reality of an unseen God to the world around us. The second thing we get to do is be used by God to build up, to encourage, and to console the family Of God. That's pretty special. So we're going to talk about these gifts this morning and the teacher in me wants to go through every single gift. The teacher in me has also realized that I like to pick messages that should be a six week series and cram it all into one. Um, So this morning, we're going to do a crash course on these gifts, and we're just going to focus on the ones that have to do with our words, but I encourage you to study this stuff, okay? All of the gifts are super important, but we're going to talk about the words. So we're going to go back through these verses and pull out each one that has to do with speech. Verse 8 says, the Spirit gives one person the ability to speak with wisdom. This is also called the Word of Wisdom. That's what I've written in your notes there, the Word of Wisdom. And the definition of a word of wisdom is supernatural insight into the mind and plan of God. So cool. We can share head space with God the Father. It's supernatural insight into the mind and plan of God. When I read that this week, I was thinking about the Paul McCartney lyric in the Beatles song, Let It Be. He says, when I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me speaking words of wisdom, let it be let it be, right? Now, I heard that song. I used to think he was talking about the Virgin Mary, but he was talking about his mom. His mom's name was Mary, Mary McCartney. And apparently she came to him in a dream when they're working on the White Album and he spoke words of wisdom to him. Now, moms are great at this. Moms are great at when we don't know what to do, when we've got something burning inside of us, we have a passion, uh, 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 a call in our lives. They come to us and they speak words of wisdom. Well, the Holy Spirit wants to play that role in our lives. Only the Holy Spirit is 100% accurate. And he's got not just instincts like our moms have, but supernatural insight into the mind and plan of God. So, words of wisdom, they're actual pieces of wisdom that come from the actual mind of God to coach us and to show us the steps that we need to take to apply uh, to the plans that God has put in our hearts. Now, I don't want to confuse this gift with wisdom that comes from the scriptures. Obviously, when we read God's word, we're going to get wisdom. 2 Timothy 3 tells us that. The word is full of wisdom, but this, the word of wisdom, it's custom-tailored to help us navigate the detailed issues of life when we don't have a scripture that applies, all right? You'll see this in scripture. We're going to look at this in 1 Samuel 10, 1 through 8, This is awesome. I love this story. God gives Samuel, a prophet, this extraordinarily detailed. Word of wisdom for Saul. Now, this is important because Saul has just been anointed king of Israel, and no one has ever been king of Israel. So, God is stirring this thing inside of him. He's going to lead these people, God's people, and he's going to be the first person in the history of the universe to do it. So, you know, he's going to need some encouragement, he needs some confidence. So, Samuel drops this word of wisdom from the Lord. He says, Then Samuel took a flask of oil, poured it on Saul's head, kissed him. He said, do you see what this means? God's anointed you prince over his people. This sign will confirm God's anointing of you as prince over his inheritance. After you leave me today, as you get closer to your home country of Benjamin, this is where it starts to get super interesting. You'll meet two men near Rachel's tomb. They'll say the donkeys you went to look for are found. Your father's forgotten about the donkeys and is worried about you wringing his hands quite beside himself. Leaving there, you'll arrive at the Oak of Tabor. There you'll meet three men going up to to worship God at Bethel. One will be carrying three young goats, another carrying three sacks of bread, and the third a jug of wine. He goes on and on and on and on with these really specific details. And then he says this. This is my favorite part. Don't miss this. When these confirming signs are accomplished, you'll know that you're ready. Whatever job you're given to do, which is lead my people, do it. God is with you. Now, this is so fascinating. He got special Samuel was given special insight into the mind and plan of God. How did he know that those people were going to be at the well and say those words and how did he know that those three over there were going to be there carrying those specific things? It's not like he texted his buddies and say, "Hey, Listen, Saul is stepping into a new season, and he needs some confidence, so let's help him out. Hey, be at the well over here at this time and say these exact words, and then text three other guys and says, can you be here, bring your goats, three, bring three goats, and then carry some bread, but don't offer all of, them him, don't offer all of the bread to him, just, just the two loaves, okay? He didn't do that. What happened was he got a glimpse. He got insight into the mind and plan of God. God showed him what Saul was going to walk into. And when he walked through that and those things happened, just as Samuel said that they would, he was filled with this confidence. He knew that he was ready. Whatever job he'd been given to do, he could do it because God was with him. This is what kind of confidence that words of knowledge can build in the body of Christ. Words of knowledge or words of wisdom have, have played a major part in our lives, in our marriage, in our ministry, Back in 2014, the very end of 2014, Pastor Josh and I moved here with our three kids to plant this church, and it was a faith adventure. We had, uh, knew no one here, we just knew that God had called us to pastor and he called us to do it in Oklahoma City. So we left everything behind, we moved here, and we were just in this season of God, whatever you want, whatever you have to say, we're just gonna follow wherever you're leading. Now, up to that point, the only teaching experience I had was to four and five-year-olds. I used to teach the four and five-year-old class at Gateway Church and I loved it and I was really, really good at it. I could have those four and five-year-olds just hanging on every word I said, eating out the palm of my hand. It was awesome. I loved it. It was so fun. Enjoyed that. But when we moved here, I started to feel this tug. I started to feel this stirring in my heart that God wanted me to minister to adults but for me, I didn't have this moment like Josh did where he was called into ministry at a young age. I didn't go to Bible school. I didn't even go to college. I didn't know how to write a message. I didn't even like the sound of my voice in a microphone. And the four and five year old, he didn't have to use a microphone. A microphone freaked me out. And also with four and five year olds, if you misinterpret a scripture or something, they're not going to come call you out after the service is over. So it was a safe Place for me. I liked that safe place, but could feel this tug nonetheless. Then, three months before we started New Song Church, three months before our very first service, I got a word of wisdom via text message from David Terry. If you would put this up on the screen. It's 11.11 11 p.m. It's a little late to be sending texts, David, but whatever. And my battery is almost dead. So you can tell that this is real because that's always the case. If you see my phone, the battery's always like this. It says, I got a picture of you on a platform speaking not to not just women, but men. I feel the Holy Spirit saying that the Lord has put a large gift of communication inside of you. You're not only a gift to new song in the kingdom because of your supportive role as a wife to pastor Josh, but you're a gift to new song in the kingdom because of this gift of communication and the beautiful message that he's put in your heart. He has put an ability to communicate God's good news with clearly or clearly and with transparency. Now, when he sent me this I'm telling you, it was like what happened with Saul. It was like God himself laid his hands on me and said, this stirring that you're feeling is from me. The tug became a run. I had this supernatural readiness that was imparted in me when I read this. I knew I was ready. I knew he was calling me. And I knew that if he was calling me, that he was going to equip me and I'd be able to do it. And I haven't looked back Sense. This is what the word of wisdom can do. This is why we need to desire these gifts and understand these gifts because God can use you to give that same type of encouragement and push into somebody else's life, and He can use others to do the same for you. Now we're gonna talk about the Word of Knowledge. Verse 8 says the Spirit gives another the ability to speak with knowledge. So we're gonna talk about the word of knowledge. Let me give you a definition. Write it in your notes. The word of knowledge is given to reveal events or conditions in the past and in the present. Events or conditions in the past. And in the present, the word of knowledge should make you feel as if your life has meaning. That God knows you, He knows what's going on in your life, and He cares about you. He knows the secrets of your heart. We see this in John 4. It's a beautiful story of Jesus and the woman at the well. He stopped at this well to get a drink, and He has this conversation with the Samaritan woman. He's telling her about the water that He can offer that she can drink and never be thirsty again. And she's interested in this, and He says, Why don't you go get your husband? And she stops and says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says this, word of knowledge. He says, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands and you are not even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. Then she goes on to leave her buckets behind. She goes into the city and she tells the people of Nazareth, or she tells the Samaritans, you have to come see the man who told me everything I ever did. How does he know this stuff? Did he tell her everything she ever did? No, it was just a word. It wasn't the sum of knowledge. It was a part of knowledge, a word of knowledge. But that word of knowledge was enough to make her drop what she was doing and say, hey, this is legit. This is the Messiah. This is the one who's come to rescue us. And I want you to see that a revival in that city was started from this word of knowledge. These gifts are important. These gifts are the evidence that the God that we serve is real and knows us. It says, so many people came streaming from the village to see him. Many Samaritans believed in Jesus because the woman had said, because he had told the woman everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in the village. a a revival was started because of one word of knowledge. Now, I grew up in a church in Tulsa. My pastor, Pastor Willie George, growing up was so great at this. He was very gifted, flowed in this regularly. He'd get up there and he'd give these really detailed words of knowledge. How could he know this stuff? People would respond, they'd come forward, they'd get for, get the answers that they need. So I saw it as a kid and just thought, man, that is so cool. And when I was in seventh grade, I was in, in a youth class Sunday morning. My parents came to get me out of the class a little bit early, and we're walking down the hallway, and they're like, hey, pastor had a word of knowledge this morning about somebody who's having trouble sleeping, and he wanted to lay his hands on them and pray for them, and we know that that word was for you. Now, earlier that year, there was a girl that something tragic happened happened to. Uh, She was at the same school as me. She was in the same grade as me. She was a cheerleader just like me. She liked Hanson just like me. She'd even been to, to my youth group a couple of times. Her locker was right down the hall from my locker at school. And one Friday night, after a Friday night football game that I had been to, she went home with her family. And that night, her dad brutally murdered her mom and her sister and her. And I didn't know how to process that as a seventh grader. I really didn't. I, this bubble that I lived in that bad things don't happen to good people was popped. And I didn't really know what to do. I was gripped with fear. I mean, gripped by fear. I didn't want to close my eyes at night because I was afraid that something bad was going to happen to me, just like it happened with her. So I started dealing with insomnia. I could not sleep. I I would get in my bed at night, and um, know that I needed to go to sleep because I have school the next day, but I couldn't. I just watched the clock go from 1.30 to 2.30 to 3.30, just restless, anxious, knowing I needed to be sleeping, but couldn't fall asleep, falling asleep in class the next day. The only way I could get to sleep was if me as a seventh grade girl would go and get in my mom and dad's queen size bed with them, which is how they knew I wasn't sleeping. And it's why they were like, let's get her prayed for. Because I'm sure they were they were losing some sleep over the whole thing too. So I go down, Pastor George lays his hands on me. I remember being a little bit intimidated because we went to a mega church. He's like, like, I didn't know him personally. I, I just see him from afar and like, oh, it's Pastor George. He lays his hands on me, begins to pray for me. I don't remember what he said or how he said it, but I just remember that that moment i felt loved by god i felt seen by god it was amazing that in that sea of thousands of people he knew me he knew sarah he knew what i was dealing with and he wanted to come face to face with me and and just overwhelm me with his perfect love the perfect love that i felt in that moment is what cast out fear and i never had a sleepless night again from that day forward Listen, these gifts are important. These gifts are what bring people face-to-face with Jesus and let them know the God that they've known, the God that they've sang about, the God that they, they learn about and read about, that he knows them intimately. It's a word of knowledge. That's how that one works. And then the next is prophecy. Verse 10 in 1 Corinthians 12 says, another can speak What God has revealed. Your Bible, your translation may say another can speak with prophecy. Prophecy is a word about the future that shows the plans God has for a person, a group, a region, or a business. Prophecy is always presented in a present future tense. And I love this this is the one gift that Paul says we should desire the most and i believe that is because when we get glimpses into the future then we can partner with god in prayer to make sure that we're walking out that we can actually fulfill the plans the good and perfect plans that he has for us if he can show us a little piece of it we won't lose hope we can hold on to what he has for us and walk into the things that he's called us to do so prophecy jesus was always talking prophecy if you look in the new testament red letters i would love to do a study and find out like what percentage of the words that jesus said were prophetic he was always talking future, always talking kingdom. He prophesied about his death and resurrection many times in scripture. And then we've got a story like Mary and Elizabeth. Mary had just been told by the angel Gabriel that she was pregnant, that she had uh, was going to give birth to the savior of the world, and that her cousin Elizabeth was also pregnant. So she goes to visit her cousin, and as soon as she steps inside of Elizabeth's house, the spirit of God comes over Elizabeth. She's filled with the Spirit. John the Baptist, the baby in her womb, leaps, and then Elizabeth begins to prophesy. She says, God has blessed you, Mary, above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored, I love this part, that the mother of my Lord should visit Me, She got a glimpse into the future. This little chickpea baby that was growing inside Mary's womb, she saw into the future, this is going to be my Lord. She's carrying my Lord, my personal Savior. And that glimpse into the future, I'm sure, confirmed so much in Mary that not just she's having this experience, but that God is speaking to others about the same thing. Listen, God's been in your future He's been in your 330 this afternoon. He's been 10 years down the road. He's been 25 years down the road. And he wants to give you little glimpses about your kids. So when they're away from God and you lose hope, you've seen that glimpse. You hold on to that hope. He wants to show you the things in the future so you can partner with him and see that they're carried out. Back in 2009, I was 23 years old and we lived in Tulsa I was praying in spirit over our future church. We had this dream of pastoring a church someday. We didn't know when. We didn't know where. We were working at Kimblunt Ministries at the time, just seeking God. Dad, what do you have for us? Show us a timeline. Show us your plans. So I'm praying one night, and uh, I, I, put this on, uh, I took a picture and put this on, on the screen. This is March 31st, 2009. You can see I didn't get anything that day. But April 2nd, 2009. I was praying in the sphere, and this is what the Lord dropped in my heart. Afton involved in church we will pastor. Now, many of you guys know Afton. If you don't, she's my niece. She's right over here. She's our production manager at New Song. She leads one of our His small groups. Her and her husband lead our young adults small group. She mentors some of our students here at the church. She is developing into a very passionate Leader in this house. Now, back in 2009, there's no way I could have known the events that would transpire between this and today. I didn't know that we were about to move away to Texas and this relationship that we had with Aspen. We'd been taking her to church and spending time with her, and she uh, she's always had a special place in my heart. So we were building this relationship with her as a teenager, and then we moved away. And when we moved away, uh, the distance between us, we just weren't as close as we used to be. And I also didn't know that she was going to step out of God's will for her life, that she was going to make some wrong choices. She was going to get involved with some wrong people. She was going to be running from God and experiencing tons of hurt and shame and things like that. I didn't know any of that was going to happen, but God knew he was in the future. So fast forward six years after I wrote this in my little notebook, And uh, we moved to Oklahoma City to start this church. Well, about a year later, the salon that Afton worked for in Tulsa opens a salon in Oklahoma City. And who do you think they send to help open that salon? They send Afton. So now we're in the same city again. She's still running from God. She loves God, but she's still running from Him. She's still dealing with some shame and some hurt. And she told me that when she found out she was moving to Oklahoma City that she knew she was going to have to go to Aunt Sarah's church. Like, out of out of guilt, reluctantly, going to have to go to Aunt Sarah and Uncle Josh's church. They've always been pretty nice to me. So she came to church, and she kept coming to church, and she kept coming to church, and God began to do a work in her life. She began to keep her guard down long enough so he could come in and saturate her with his love, and she traded her hurts for his healing, and she turned her life around. And it wasn't long before this prophecy was fulfilled that she was involved in the church that we would pastor. How could no one could write that story? Only God. She would end up meeting her husband at a new song service. It's just amazing. The reason that he knew that because he'd been there Back in 2009, when I was just praying, wondering what was happening, he'd already seen everything. He knew about the church in Oklahoma City. He knew the salon would move here. He knew that she would turn her life around. Even though she was in that season of making wrong choices, he saw her making the right ones too. This is why we desire these gifts. This is why prophecy is so important. Now, I want you to notice too, these kind of go hand in hand. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Uh, verse 10 says, another can speak in different kinds of languages. When I got that word about Athen, what was I doing? I was speaking in another language. I was praying in the spirit. I was yielding this disproportionately powerful thing that Josh talked about last week, yielding my tongue to the spirit, letting him pray his will, God's will. I was praying God's will for my niece. His perfect will. I was praying God's will for this church for today because I yielded my tongue and was praying in the spirit. Listen to me. This is why the enemy wants to convince churches and people, good church folk, that praying in tongues is crazy. It's not crazy. It's beautiful and it's powerful and it's a gift from God. If you want to speak spirit, pray in the spirit. Yield your tongue and let him pray through you. If you want more information on that, go to newsongpeople.com slash the rest of the story. It's in your notes. It's an amazing series on the Holy Spirit that Pastor Josh taught a couple years ago. So if you want to speak spirit, pray in the spirit, and then there's interpretation. We can actually interpret what we pray. So we're praying. We don't recognize these words, but God, the spirit of God will help us to understand what we prayed. That day when I was praying, I didn't know what I was praying. But then God showed me, I must have been praying about Afton. And will be a part of the church involved in the church that we pastor. So, there is an interpretation that can come with that. Sometimes you won't always get an interpretation in your quiet time, but if you're ever giving a, a tongue in a church service or you're giving a tongue to a person, just you know, I come to give Steph a tongue, I'm not just going to come and pray in tongues over her and then walk away. That would not benefit her. These gifts are for the benefit of people. So, if you want to be- benefit somebody, you need to interpret that tongue. You need to have the Holy Spirit interpret what you just prayed over that person. Okay. So now we have an understanding of these gifts. There's the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, prophecy, tongues, and interpretation. Now, as we close, I'm gonna give you four ways that you can go beyond understanding. Because how many know it's not enough just to understand? If you sit here and you're like, oh, that's how that works, that's cool, but you do nothing with it. You've just wasted 30 minutes of your life and your time is valuable. Don't waste your life. Be a doer of this word. Not just hearers only, but doers only. A seed has been planted. Now you gotta go back and you gotta water that seed. you got to take some steps so that seed grows. So here's what you got to do. Four things, and they're all present tense. They're all I-N-G, because these aren't just once-and-done things. These are things that we need to be doing on a continual basis as believers, okay? The first one is be being filled. Be being filled with the Spirit. In order to have these gifts in operation in your life, you have to be filled with the Spirit, because these are, after all, gifts of the spirit so we've got to be filled with the spirit now people make this so complicated and so confusing it's really not This is how you're filled with the Spirit. You ask Jesus to fill you with his Spirit. And then you believe that when you ask that he's a good God and he's a faithful God and he would not withhold a good thing from anyone who asks. And the Holy Spirit is a good thing, not a thing, a person. He's not going to withhold the Holy Spirit from anyone who asks. So you ask Jesus to immerse you in his Spirit. You believe that he will and then you receive. And then guess what? You're filled with the Spirit. You may not have warm tinglies. You may not feel any different. But if you believe by faith and receive by grace that He has filled you with the Spirit, then you're filled with the Spirit. But this isn't a once and done thing. The Holy Spirit came and rested on Jesus. We see this in John uh, one thirty-two through thirty-three. I love this imagery. Imagine this with me. I saw the Holy Spirit. John says descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon Jesus. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me the one on whom you see the spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit came, descended and rested on Jesus. And now he baptizes us. He immerses us in his spirit so that we can live lives that give glory to God. But the, the Holy Spirit rested on Jesus, it flies away from us a lot. It'll come, and, and it we'll be filled with the Spirit, and then we leak. It flies away, however you want to put it. That's why Paul tells us that we have to be being filled with the Spirit every day, every day. Make it a part of your everyday life, every day when you pray, Jesus, fill me with your Spirit. Immerse me in your Spirit. All right, number two is be desiring the gifts be desiring the gifts. First Corinthians 14.1 says, pursue this love with eagerness. Make it your goal. Just so you know, the goal with all of these gifts, with all of this evidence is that the love of God would be on display. So love is your goal. Then it says, yet earnestly desire and cultivate the spiritual gifts to be used by believers for the benefit of the church. Okay. These gifts They're not just going to fall into our laps. We have to desire them. We have to pursue them. We have to study them. We have to ask for them. We have to relentlessly go after these gifts. Remember, when we have these gifts in operation in our lives, we get to demonstrate the reality of an unseen God to the world around us. This is a big deal. We have to pursue these gifts, desire the gifts, be desiring them on a daily basis. And maybe you're thinking, well... That's great. You should be desiring them, and Josh should be desiring them, and David should be desiring them because you guys are all in ministry. But that's not that's not the case. This isn't, these aren't gifts just reserved for people in vocational ministry. You'll see in 1 Corinthians 14:1, it says, to be used by believers. If you're a believer, these gifts are to be used by you. So you gotta desire them. They're available to you. God has uniquely positioned you where you're at. Because there are people that you know in your sphere of influence that I'll never meet, that Josh will never meet, that David will never meet, that will never walk into the doors of this church, but they know you and you know God. Give them some evidence. Give them some proof that you know God. Desire the gifts. Pray and ask God for them. Here are three two-word phrases that you should include in your daily dialogue with God. The first one is thank you. Thank you. Thank you, God for loving me, for choosing me, for calling me. Thank you. The second one is use me. Use me today. Make me your vessel. I want to be used by you. And the third one is fill me. Fill me with your spirit. That's how we pursue these gifts. Number three is be cultivating the gifts. Be cultivating. First Corinthians 14, 1 Corinthians 14:1, yet earnestly desire and cultivate the spiritual gifts. It's not enough just to desire them. We got to cultivate these. We got to work on them. We got to exercise these gifts. We've all been given muscles, but if we want our muscles to grow, we have to exercise them. We got to exercise these gifts. And here's what that looks like. You know, when you go work out for the first time and uh, you you don't want to go work out like at a CrossFit gym and uh, you you feel like out of place. These guys all know exactly what they're doing and you you're just it, it doesn't work. So you go, you're intimidated, and then you never come back. God doesn't want that to happen with you as you're practicing, cultivating these gifts. So he's got three, I've got three places that you can practice these things. One is your home. Your home is a great place to cultivate the gifts of the spirit. Begin to pray over your kids. Lord, show me, show me what one thing that I need to tell my kids today. What's gonna, what's gonna ignite something in them? What's gonna confirm something in their spirits? Show me something that I can pray over my, my husband. Show me your thoughts about my husband, your thoughts about my kids, your thoughts about my wife. Start right there in your home. The second one is your small group. If you're not in a small group, Get in a small group, newsongpeople.com slash groups. This is a great place to practice, to exercise, to cultivate these gifts. In fact, if you're in a small group, this week in our uh, our study guide, small group study guide, there's going to be an activation where you take a moment and you ask the Lord to reveal something uh, for the person next to you. That, that you can give them a word from God. We've done it in our women's groups. It's really powerful. So I'm excited about that. So get in a small group. It's a great place to practice. And then number three, people you're scheduled to hang out with. Exercise these gifts with the people that you're already scheduled to hang out with. I don't know about you, but I've got lunches, meetings all week long, brunches, lunches, different people that I'm meeting with. And as I was preparing this message this week, the Lord said, what if instead of on the way to these lunches, you're listening to One Direction and Justin Bieber. What if you turn that off and you begin to pray and you begin to ask me for secrets about the person? Ask me to, to ask me to reveal something to you about that person so that this lunch is not just a small talk lunch, but it's a God-ordained ministry moment. So if you've got somebody on your calendar, pray for them and ask God to use you to minister to them and their lives. And I'll say this, the more faithful you are, the the secrets that he shares with you, the more faithful he is to give you more secrets. So if he reveals something to you and says, hey, that person you're about to go to lunch with, they're really feeling alone and isolated right now in this problem. And you come to them and say, hey, God told me, uh, I feel like the Spirit said, he just wants you to know he'll never leave you or forsake you. You you are a good steward with that word that he gave you. He'll keep giving you more words like that. So share what you get. And then number four, be examining the gifts. First Corinthians 2.15. The spiritual man, the spiritually mature Christian, judges all things, questions, examines, and applies what the Holy Spirit reveals. And you're like, we're not supposed to judge people, right? But we do judge Words that the Holy Spirit reveals because sometimes people are going to give you a word and it's not going to be right. They're going to say, Thus saith the Lord. Just because they say, thus saith the Lord, doesn't mean that it's from the Lord. They could miss it. There's human flesh involved in this process. So we're not always gonna get the nail on the head, okay? So we've gotta examine words that are given to us. Here's some criteria to help you do this as you give words and as you receive words. Is it clear and understandable? God's not the author of confusion. He's not gonna give you some word and you're just going, what the heck does that mean? That's not how he works. Number two, it should confirm something we already know or bear witness with our spirits should bear witness, it should settle right in our spirits, it shouldn't be like, take you, catch you off guard and just be like, that's not how it works. Number three, it should point to a step or course of action that's clear and easy to follow. I love this one. You should be able to see Jesus at the beginning, at the middle, and at the end of the road. If you can see Jesus through the whole word, he's the theme. His nature is the theme. You know you're on the right track. Love, mercy, compassion, and the nature of God should be on display more than the personality of the person presenting the gift. We've all seen those YouTube videos where the prophet comes in and he's like, thus saith the Lord, you're going to go to Africa and heal blind people. And he's doing this crazy, crazy voice and he's wearing this crazy outfit. It's all about him. That's not how this works. Love, mercy, compassion, and the nature of God should be on display more than us. Okay, number seven, welcome and give feedback. If you want to grow in the gifts, you want others, and you want others to grow, you got to welcome feedback and you got to give feedback. If somebody comes to you and they give you a word and it's completely inaccurate, they say, I see that you grew up with six brothers and God wants you to know that He loves you. You can just say, Well, thank you for giving me that word, but I actually didn't grow up with six brothers. They need to know they missed it so they can go back and work on tuning their ear right? Okay. And then the opposite is true. If they give you a word and it's spot on, right on the head, let them know. So they continue to grow in their confidence. They are hearing God. It's confirmation for you and for them. And then lastly, keep notes, keep notes. I I like these pictures snap, you know, somebody texts you screenshot that have a file on your, I have a file on my computer of words that people have given to Josh and I prophecies, words of wisdom, word of knowledge. We go through that and look at it often. Sometimes you'll get a note. a a word or something, and it may not make sense, but it sits right with your spirit, just hang on to it. It may make complete sense in three weeks from now. So don't throw those away. Hang on to them. Keep notes of the words you're giving and the words that you're receiving. So we've got to be being filled, desiring, cultivating, and examining. Now, I know that I've shared a lot of scriptures with you today, but I want to share one more as we close. And this is my favorite of all these stories. When my mom got married to my dad, she had Already four kids, three daughters and one son from a previous marriage. And then my dad had a daughter from a previous marriage. So as soon as they got married, right off the bat, five kids living under their roof. Now, a couple of years into the marriage, my dad came to my mom and said, Hey, I know we have five kids, but I want to have kids with you. I want Some kids that are our own. I want to make kids with you. And especially, I need a son. I want a son. I want a son to carry on our name. And so my mom said, That's great. But I, of course, wasn't planning on getting divorced. And I also wasn't planning on having more kids. So I had my tubes tied. And my dad kind of, Oh, man, I really thought this was from the Lord. He didn't let it stop him. He began to study, research. If you know my dad, this is his thing. Research is his thing. So he researched this all out before the internet, mind you, and find out that this surgery could be reversed. And so they found a surgeon willing to do it. It was fairly new technique at the time, but he gave my mom, the surgeon, a 90% success rate. So she comes back, post-surgery checkup, and she's already pregnant. And everyone's excited. My dad's excited. He's got the name picked out. It's going to be his son. This is Zachary Stephen. It's all over bookmarks, promises, Bible page. They are pumped about Zachary Stephen. Now, as my mom's carrying this baby, one day, the Lord says something to her. He utters kind of a word of wisdom, knowledge, prophecy, all wrapped up into one. A lot of times these all work together. He says to her, don't forget about Sarah. Now, when he said those words, she said she knew immediately that the baby she was carrying was a daughter. And this is before ultrasounds. Right now, we we have the gender reveal parties. You pop the balloon. It's a big celebration. But this was in the day where the gender reveal party was at the hospital. You found out if it was a boy or girl when the baby came out and the doctor yelled, it's a boy or it's a girl. But my, uh, my God gave my mom supernatural insight into his plan. And he told her, this is a daughter. So she was excited, but she knew my dad was gonna be heartbroken. (laughs) So she took him to dinner, fancy restaurant, El Chico's, and over some chips and salsa and some enchiladas, she said, hey, I know we've done all of this because you want a son, but the Lord told me this is going to be a girl, and we're to call her Sarah. And my dad didn't wanna believe it, disappointed, but then April 4th, 1985, he met me. And I won him over pretty quickly, wrapped him around my finger. And then two years later, they got their boy. They got Zachary, Stephen. Now, what I want you to know about this is my mom wasn't in ministry. When she was pregnant with me, carrying me, getting this word from God that would forever shape my future and forever help me to know that I am loved in Christ. She got this word while she was working nights at the post office. God wants to give you words like this. And this week I read this I read this story, I read this paragraph in a book by Sean Bowles called Exploring the Prophetic. It's about the gifts of the spirit. And when I read it, I sent it to my mom. I took a picture and I said, that word that you got over me before I was even born, this is what that word has meant to me my whole life, because she'd tell me the story. I heard this story a billion times growing up. Hey, God showed me before I knew you were gonna be a girl that you were gonna be a girl. And she'd tell me with tears in her eyes how, how God knew me in the darkness of her womb, just like the scripture says, and how he never forgot about me and he never would forget about me. Those words, don't forget about Sarah. I've never been able to shake them. 33 years of my life, I've never been able to get away from those words. This is what it did for me. These gifts are supposed to make you feel as if your life has meaning. You're someone's favorite. You have a God who wants to spend forever with you. You are loved. And on top of that, you were born for a reason. You are celebrated. You can do what you were born to do. Your nature and personhood are worthy of connection. Your family's better because you're alive. Because you exist, the world is impacted and changed. Those words, don't forget about Sarah, did this work for me. This is why Paul says we can't misunderstand these gifts. We have to understand them and we have to desire them and we have to cultivate them because these are the kinds of things that bring people face to face with the love of God. The face to face with his answers, his plans, His, his solutions. They bring us face to face with him. God wants to use you in here. Mamas, daddies, Brothers, sisters, friends, small group people—he wants to use you to have to, to give people words that they can't shake. That forever, those words stick with them because they're words from heaven to our hearts. If we want to speak spirit, if we want to represent God and Jesus and everything we say and we do, we have to cultivate these gifts, desire these gifts, speak spirit. We gotta say, Lord, make us your vessels. If you would, bow your heads, close your eyes. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me right now? I believe he wants to, to speak some unforgettable things to you this morning, reveal some things to you this morning. He may even give you a word for your spouse or whoever you're sitting next to or your child. He may even give you a word right now as your heart is burning with a desire to be used by him in a greater way. If you would, go ahead and stand to your feet. As I was preparing this message, I just felt like the Lord wanted us to all have a corporate moment of prayer where we just ask Jesus to fill us afresh with his spirit, to immerse us once again with his spirit, so that we can walk into this week full of a spirit, ready to overflow, ready to to speak spirit into the lives of those that he's placed around us. So if you would, I want you to just hold your hands out in front of you like this, like you're going to receive something. And I want you to believe what the scripture says, that God will not withhold the Holy Spirit from anyone who asks. Father, say this with me. Say, Jesus, Jesus. I ask you right now now. to immerse me, To to fill me with the Spirit of God. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Baptize me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me to the full and overflowing. Use me this week to speak Spirit. Give me evidence. Give me proof so that I can help people know God like I know you. Thank you, Jesus